Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Isn't it weird to be here not talking about Michael Myers? It's very strange. Been a while. A long time. It's fa- it, it, it's... October's gone very fast. It it's has. It's also found very long when you're constantly saying the word Michael Myers, <laughs> Michael, Loomis, Laurie. Yes. Danielle Harris. Haddonfield. Yeah. Um, yes, Michael Myers for the years is officially over, well, until Halloween ends is released next year. But now, it's original versus remake time again. Yay, and this wasn't Halloween. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not doing an extra oh, episode. Um, no, no, both of those films need their own episodes. Carpenter so. versus Zombie. This is my choice, and it's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, it was your choice. It was my choice. And I feel like maybe people didn't realise there was a remake. But there was. In 1991, made for TV. Yes, we had a message from our friends at Say Podcast and Die. Who said oh. they only figured out it existed because of us. We are sorry that we brought yeah, this into your it. life. <laughs> it's... Yeah, no, we'll no, get it, into it. It is dog it. shit. It is absolutely fucking dog shit. Spoiler alert. It's disappointing because it stars... Vanessa and Lynn Redgrave, two wonderful actresses, but my God, Ooh, yeah, no, it, it, we'll it's, get into it. It, it, <laughs> it falls into the category of remakes that genuinely made me a bit angry. <laughs> so yes, we are talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane, absolutely iconic original film. Um, you know, huge in the LGBTQ plus community. We could have easily done this for a private episode. It, it is. It really appreciated by us gays all over the world, isn't it? Yeah. Um, any gay that appreciates a classic Hollywood actress loves Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And also a masterpiece of in horror cinema as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, I feel like it doesn't get the credit it deserves because it's obviously well known for its camp value and, you know, and whatnot. But for me, this is easily... Almost just as intense as Psycho. Yeah, as there are definitely film. moments. Absolutely, there's definitely moments, and it 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 it's camp. Let's not be let's not beat around. Oh the no, bush. no, absolutely. But again, like we were saying about Halloween, it blends camp and it blends scary on an expert level. Yeah, and there's layers to it. There is. So poll results. 83% original, and then all the straight people... I mean, uh, everyone else voted 17%. Come on, guys. <laughs> it's, it's... Come on. I didn't think anyone had watched it. I I thought it would be a complete, you know, um, whatever word you use for when someone wins by a large margin. I cannot remember the word. Home run. Home run. Yeah, for the original. Because I didn't think anyone had watched the remake no. in being able to compare the two i didn't think anyone had watched it Probably so you would have just pesky trolls again well, you'd... <laughs> well yeah, I, 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 yeah getting into it whatever happened to baby jane released in 1962 directed by robert aldrich the director of the dirty dozen kiss me deadly attack the last sunset hush hush sweet charlotte which is a sequel of sorts to this i believe uh, ish yeah Flight of the Phoenix The California Dolls made on a budget of $980,000 and it made $9.5 million worldwide I'm going to skip to a certain bit of trivia which is so 
impressive. Uh, the film was a smash hit upon initial release, uh, recouping its original budget in only 11 days, and the 9 million gross that it had worldwide, if that was adjusted to uh, modern day, it, it would be equivalent to 72, over 72 million in, is, in modern day. I mean, for a film that's centred around two older actresses... I mean, well, you know, maybe a few comparisons to Halloween. Yeah. Halloween 2018, um, older woman star made big fucking money. Yeah. You know, it's possible giving older women lead roles in films. Who knew? Oh, my God. Who knew that was possible? Yeah, I mean, and on a budget like that as well, like making that, that sort of money... It'd definitely be compared to the original Halloween. Absolutely. But the original Halloween was because John Carpenter was an unknown director, blah, 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 blah. Um, this was because no one believed anyone wanted to watch, mm-hmm. in 1962, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis yeah. in a film. No one wanted to see it. They believed, excuse me, no one wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. But as actresses in their heyday, they made... More money than the men. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And of course that's going to continue into the 60s. It also... It's pure sexism and it's pure it misogyny. Is. Yeah, it absolutely is. In the Hollywood system. I mean, it, it's telling that it, it, it launched its own subgenre as well. Mm. I mean... There's Again, a like few, Halloween. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few films in that subgenre that we've seen that... I mean, I think we've enjoyed all of them that we have seen. Um... Would you call that subgenre borderline misogynistic? It's you wouldn't see an old man. Well, it's exploitation, by the way. Exploitation. Um, I I kind of feel like it. I mean, like I said, I enjoy the films that it's it's produced, but you wouldn't see an old man no. at the forefront of one of those films, would you? No, you wouldn't. No, it's it plays on, um, uh, a woman's greatest fear, getting old. And losing her looks. Yes, and being terrifying because of it. And then they create a horror based around that. Um, The problem is, it's very problematic, the idea that older women are scary because they're old and they've lost their looks. But also, I fucking love these films. Oh, yeah. They, they are made for very camp great viewing. films. They are such great films. And we touched on it with, um, what was the William Castle film? Straight our... Jacket? Straight Jacket. With Joan Crawford. With Joan Crawford. Yeah, Straight Jacket. So, um, William Castle was such a massive fan of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane that he made... Um, straight jacket yeah and uh, he worked with Joan Crawford because he fucking loved mm. whatever happened to baby Jane yeah um so it's a double-edged sword really because also I mean they were getting their payday oh yeah, yeah you know yeah. It, if no one was gonna put them in romantic comedies or as romantic leads then Kind of the only way for a lot of these actresses to get a lead role yeah. and make money is these sort of roles, unfortunately. Mm. And, and I 
I feel like that's changed now. I was going to say, it's very Taliban modern day because, I mean, like you said, with the comparisons to Halloween 2018, you know, like you said, there could be an argument there for it to be exploitation to a certain extent. I but asked you, you the question, yeah, didn't I? Yeah. I, I mean, you don't see anyone out there calling Halloween 2018 exploitation. No. You know? No. Um, and we, we see, I believe, um, when Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was being made, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford were in their 50s. You look now, Nicole Kidman's in her 50s. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think Reese Witherspoon's too far behind, you know? And they're still getting steady mm-hmm. work. I mean, a lot of the time, they're having to create it themselves. But, you know... It's nice to see a movement in that direction. Yeah. And you find some actresses really come to the forefront as older actresses. The case in point, Laura Dern. Now, mm-hmm. we've always loved Laura Dern, and she's been working for decades. Yeah. But she's really had a renaissance recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And it's it's good to see. It's nice to see. And I would really love to see Laura Dern front... A, a big budget film and mm-hmm. really get her payday. I'd love to see that because yeah. she's a fantastic actress. So, um, according to Betty Davis in her book, This and That, the film was originally going to be shot in colour. Davis opposed to this, saying that it would just make a sad story look pretty. But case in point, 1991. Oh my God, absolutely. Like that, but actually, that's been too kind. It doesn't look pretty. <laughs> but yeah, it takes everything away from... That black and white cinematography, and obviously we'll get onto it, like we do with uh, Original versus Remake, but that black and white cinematography is ex- exceptional. It really is. It really yeah. makes the film. It's the, the lighting mainly, but so much of that black and white cinematography... Feels like an extra character in the. I don't know. Yeah. It's really wanky to say. No, sorry, that's true. But it feels like an extra character in the film. Yeah. So, anyone who's listened to this may or may not know this, um, but just in case you're not familiar, big story around whatever happened to Baby Jane is the feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Now, who knows what really went on? Yeah. We certainly don't. Only two people do, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're both dead now. They are, yes. Yeah, there there are many stories surrounding this, uh, and there's a few things popping up in the trivia about it that are absolutely bizarre series of events. It is fucking insane, and true or not true, it makes for some fucking entertaining trivia, that's for certain. Oh my god, absolutely. You know, I'm a messy bitch. Um, I love a bit of gossip. I love celeb gossip. Um, particularly when it involves arguing in classic Hollywood. I mean, they're long gone now. So, you know, we can have a little gossip about them. I'm sure they won't mind. It's nothing worse than what they heard when they were alive. But they didn't have the Real Housewives in 1962. So they had Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Uh, Yeah. So, and this was all played out in the magazines, the gossip mags and the newspapers. I watched Feud... Um, I enjoyed Feud, but I did realise a lot of it I had to take with a pinch of salt. It was really a, a revisionist history of what went on. And I think some of this trivia is as well. We, we don't know 100% what's yeah. true, but by God, it makes some really interesting stories. I would love to see a film made of this, like a proper full-length film. 
I mean, obviously, I haven't seen Feud, but, mm. like, properly, maybe a little more accurate. But, I mean, it's so fucking easy to make, um, you know, drama out of this. Even stuff that doesn't exist. It, it is so easy because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. I mean, the award ceremony, I think there's no denying that. Which no. we'll get to shortly. Yeah. But uh, Betty Davis had a Coca-Cola machine installed on set. This was to deliberately provoke Joan Crawford, who was the widow of Pepsi chairman Alfred Steele and a celebrity spokesman for that company. <laughs> so when Mummy Dearest, when she says I fought worse monsters than you for years in Hollywood, did she mean Betty Davis? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Betty Davis and Joan Crawford worked hard to promote the film. Um, despite their differences, both knowing that their profit percentage points would pay off in spades with the film's success. Davis travelled to 17 theatres across the state of New York in three days with personal appearances and had to give away promotional Baby Jane dolls to patrons with a lucky envelope under their seat. Oh, lucky envelope? Fucking <laughs> hell, that doll is scary. In scenes where Jane imitates Blanche's voice, the voice heard is actually Joan Crawford's voice and not Betty Davis's You're voice. You're joking. As Davis could not master Crawford's voice properly. Wow. See, seamless that was. <laughs> In her book, This and That, Betty Davis said she had a lot of control over how her makeup should be done for the film. She imagined the older Jane as someone who would never wash her face, just put on another layer of makeup... And when her daughter, Barbara Merrill, uh, first saw her in full Jane makeup, she said, Oh, mother, this time you've gone too far. I'm sure. <laughs> Not quite. It's amazing. And I'm so, yeah. you know, praise the Lord that she did have that control over the makeup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I think Betty Davis was an actress who liked to provide her own makeup whenever she could anyway. She was very much into realism. It yeah. was a big thing for her. Um, you know, if she was playing someone who had just been beaten up, well, she better damn well look like she's just yeah. been beaten up. She wasn't one for glamour. She was one for getting, mm -hmm. you know, into a role and into yeah. a character. The budget was so limited that a production wasn't able to use the usual process screenshots for Jane's driving scenes. Betty Davis did her own driving around Hollywood with cameraman Ernest Huller uh, perched either in the back seat of the car or over the front fender in order to get the shots he needed. To this day, said Davis in 1987, I smile when I remember the first time Jane drove down Beverly Boulevard in an old Hudson. The expressions on the faces of the people in other cars when they saw me were hysterical, a lot of mouths dropped. <laughs> Can't imagine. Betty Davis was... Nah, this is my favourite bit of trivia. Because there's video evidence of this, and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Betty Davis was nominated for the Oscar for Best Actress for her performance in this movie. Had Davis won, it would have set a record number of wins for one actress. According to the book, Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud, by Sean Considine, Davis and Joan Crawford had a lifelong mutual hatred and a jealousy Crawford actively campaigned against Davis uh, winning Best Actress. Uh, Actively campaign, campaign, excuse me, words falling apart. Even Tallinn and Bancroft, that if Bancroft won and was unable to accept the award, she would be able to accept it on her behalf. According to the book, on Oscar night, Davis was standing in the wings of the theatre waiting to hear the name of the winner. When it was announced that Bancroft had indeed won for the miracle worker, Joan marched past Davis with barely an excuse me and swept on stage to accept Bancroft's Oscar. 
I mean, that is some next level shit right there. It's one that you can't deny because... Kanye before Kanye. (laughs) But she, I mean, you're in the film with Betty Davis. Yeah. You know, the optics aren't great. It doesn't look good. No. When you're actively accepting the award that your co-star has just lost. Yeah. You know, you'd think, you know, you would say, oh, I'll, I'll do Best Supporting Actress mm-hmm. this year because, you know, my co-star is up for this award. Um, yeah, not... <laughs> I fully believe that that was very, very deliberate. To get on Davis's nerves. I've seen the Miracle Worker, the Bancroft winner. Uh, did she deserve that instead of I Davis? I haven't seen the Miracle Worker. Um, I would very much like to. From what I can gather, Anne Bancroft, and I've seen Anne Bancroft in other films, and she's a fantastic actress. Anne Bancroft does give a fantastic performance in the mm. Miracle Worker. Um, it's. I think it's one that, you know, people are for and against. Yeah. Um, many years. You know, everyone's got opinions on these things. Everyone's like, oh, so-and-so should have won. Or so-and-so should have won. You know, we do it every year at the Oscars. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's a case of Anne Bancroft did not deserve to. No. This was Betty Davis's. Yeah. Award and it was stolen by Joan Crawford, who was going against. I don't think that was the case. Whilst Betty Davis took delight in looking dreadful for the film, the opposite was true of Joan Crawford. Even though Blanche had once been a beautiful young actress, she was now in her 50s, confined to a wheelchair, um, emaciated and wasting away. It was difficult for Crawford to appear attractive since she had always been considered one of Hollywood's most glamorous stars. Betty Davis said it was a constant battle to get her to not look gorgeous. She wanted her hair well-dressed, her gowns beautiful, and her fingernails with red nail polish. For the part of someone in a wheelchair who had been cooped up in a room for 20 years, she wanted to look attractive. She was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah. I mean, I think she gives a great performance, but there are some scenes like, oh, okay, (laughs) you know. Who put your makeup on? Yeah, your sister ain't feeding you, but she's putting your fucking eyeliner on, you know? <laughs> Which one is it, love? And despite her criticisms, Betty Davis did have some praise for Joan Crawford every now and then. She called her a pro, uh, who was always on time and always knew her lines perfectly. She also saw some similarities between herself and Crawford uh, and said, I suppose we have the same drive. She's, always, she's a survivor and so am I, and I suppose I do infuriate people the same way she does. Davis felt that Crawford's behaviour was reasonably under control and suggested it was because I suppose she wanted to be as professional as I was. Yeah, I... It's quotes like that where it's like, it kind of... What was going on? Yeah. Did did they really hate each other? And Joan Crawford, I mean, she was a wonderful actress. Yeah. We watched Mildred Pierce, like, oh my God. You know, loved her performance in that. You know, so she wasn't some airhead glamour girl. Um, but on the other hand, at times she maybe was an airhead glamour girl. <laughs> Who just wanted to look pretty for the camera. 
Do you prefer a performance in the last month's original versus remake film? Oh my god, it's the Joan Crawford <laughs> double bill. Um, well, she was barely in last month's. Um, she has she gave little, it her all. She has a little more to do in this one. Yeah, but she doesn't call anyone a tramp in this one. No. No, she doesn't actually. Mm. When producer William Fry uh, considered taking an option on the novel in 1960... He and Betty Davis tried to get Alfred Hitchcock interested in directing. He declined as he was busy promoting Psycho and trying to develop the birds into a screenplay. And that's a shame. Because that would have been... Probably not as camp, but it would have been amazing. Yes. Although I don't think there's any way to not make this original version camp. Do you think that Alfred Hitchcock would have struggled with a female-fronted film? Psycho. Yeah, but... Spoiler alert. She dies. Yeah. Very early the birds. on. Yeah, Tibby had... Yeah, but she, she had a male lead, a, a male lead with You mean her. two women at the front. But I, film. A, a, a film that is about women. Mm. Because if there's one thing that's been said about Alfred Hitchcock is that sometimes he struggles with his depiction of women in yeah. his films. Um, do you think that he would have struggled with whatever happened to Baby Jane because it's very much a female-led film about women and and it's a very female story. You wouldn't have two men in mm. this situation because men weren't thrown to the uh, side of the road when they got to 40. It's true, it's true. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. He could have made it work, but, I mean, this is a five-star film for me anyway, so... The public... Yeah? He couldn't have made it that much better. The public is well aware of the long-standing feud between um, Crawford and Davis, so this is very much stunt casting. I mean, was it? Because I also heard that Joan Crawford was trying to find a film for her and Betty Davis. Yeah. So was it stunt casting? I think that Joan Crawford was a shrewd businesswoman. Mm. And she knew that, either true or not, the rumours of her and Betty Davis's feud would... Oh my God, write, you know, the press for itself. Mm -hmm. She, She wouldn't have to put billboards all over downtown West Hollywood. Yeah. Because they'd be in all the papers and all the magazines, mm-hmm. everyone telling how, you know, they've slapped each other yeah, around and that's true. had screaming matches. Um, you know, that shit writes itself. And hell, you know, I'd go watch it based on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. They were meant to repeat this formula in the next movie, Hush, Sweet, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. But problems with the director and Davis caused Joan to be replaced by Olivia de Havilland at the last minute. Yeah, I'd like to watch Hush, 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 Sweet Charlotte. Yes. Yeah. Joan demanded a body double for scenes where Jane attacked Blanche, claiming that she'd need stitches after Betty had kicked her in the head. After that, she allegedly put weights in the pockets of her rope to make it harder for Betty to drag her around. (laughs) However, it should be noted that there are at least two takes done of Joan being dragged out of the room by Davis. On the first take, as Joan was being dragged, she started to cough and open her eyes. And on the second take, uh, had Davis fully dragged Joan out of the room uh, when she injured her back. 
I mean, shit like that. What is the film that been made about this? Like, that would be great. I mean, yeah, I suppose they did do Feud. Was was the bricks in, in Feud? Um, yes, I think. The Feud very much played on all, all the rumours and kind of yeah. stated them as fact. Joan Crawford was scheduled to appear alongside Betty Davis on the publicity tour for the film, but cancelled at the last minute. Davis claimed that Crawford backed out because she didn't want to share the stage with her. In a 1972 telephone conversation, Crawford told actor Sean Considine that after seeing a screening of the film, she urged Davis, who wasn't interested, to go and have a look. Later, when Joan didn't hear back from Davis, she called her co-star and asked her what she thought of it. Davis replied, you were so right, Joan, the picture was so good, and I was terrific. <laughs> Crawford told Constantine. That was it. She never said anything about my performance, not a word. Constantine alleges that this denial from Davis with regards to Joan's talent as an actress prompted Crawford to cancel the publicity tour and upstage Davis at the Oscars. Um, that I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe that. Um, oh, another film... That should be taken with maybe a little pinch of salt. Uh, Mummy Dearest. <laughs> yes. Um, I, th- I think uh, Joan Crawford was absolutely a neurotic and it very, very much would have uh, played on her mind that Betty Davis didn't compliment <laughs> her acting skills. Yeah, Mummy Dearest has to be a future podcast film. Oh, uh, yeah, point. absolutely. Oh, gee. Oh, good Lord. So it would be a three-parter. <laughs> Davis's character uh, of deranged former child star Baby Jane Hudson is widely believed to be based, at least partially, on former silent movie star Mary Miles Minter. Minter's career ended abruptly in 1922 when press coverage suggested she was a prime suspect in the still unsolved murder of director William Desmond Taylor. Although she was never formally charged, Minter survived for decades afterwards as a progressively delusional recluse. There's Are you a familiar story. With, with that no, story? No, absolutely not. That's crazy. I need to read a book on that. That unsolved murder mystery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Write that down for me. <laughs> it's in the trivia. Don't Thank worry. you. Ingrid Bergman, Susan Hayward, Rita Hayworth, Catherine Hepburn, Jennifer Jones and Ginger Rogers were all considered for Baby Jane. Weren't they a bit, uh, apart from Catherine Hepburn, were they a bit younger? <laughs> yeah. Were they a bit too young? Fucking okay, hell. <laughs> Tallulah Bankhead, Claudette Colbert, Olivia de Havilland and Marlene Dietrich were considered to play Blanche. Um, oh, Olivia de Havilland, I think, would have done a great job. I think she pretty much does play her in the next, or they swap role in um, yeah. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. This film is included on Roger Ebert's Great Movies list. Yeah. You know what he likes. According to Betty Davis, Joan Crawford refused to dispose of her falsies. As part of her wardrobe, Miss Crawford owned three, three sizes of bosoms. In the famous scene in which she lays on the beach, Joan wore the largest ones. Let's face it, when a woman lies on her back, I don't care how well endowed she is, her bosoms do not stand straight up, and Blanche had supposedly wasted away for 20 years. The scene called for me to fall on top of her. I had the breath almost knocked out of me. It was like falling on two footballs. Is that what Betty Davis said? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love Betty Davis. If, if, oh, I hate to say it, but if I have to take a side, it would have to be Betty Davis. 
because I love her and I love watching her interviews and I love her wit and I love her performances in, you know, movies. I, I think I think she had the better all round career than Joan Crawford. Yeah, she provides a better performance in the film as well. Yeah, she does. Yeah. But at the same time, the way Joan Crawford's <laughs> The way she's going back to her with all this, with all the stuff that's going on, her her little things like the Oscars and everything, that's kind of iconic. That I is, mean, yeah. That kind of outdoes a lot of what Betty Davis has said. To a certain Joan degree. Crawford's more action than than words. I'm surprised the one wasn't in there. The famous quote, and I'm I'm not sure if it's real or not, so don't quote me on it. Um, but when Joan Crawford died, Betty Davis allegedly said that her mother taught her only to speak good of the dead. <laughs> Joan Crawford is dead. Good. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how true that is, but it's iconic. <laughs> so, that brings us to whatever happened to Baby Jane. Two 19... people who I feel liked each other. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows. Uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, nineteen ninety one, directed by David Green? No, not David Gordon Green from last week's episode. Uh, so many connections, <laughs> can't get rid of the fucker. But this is Green with a with an E on the end. So. Oh, I see. He directed Sebastian, The Strange Affair, The People Next Door, I Start Counting, Madam Sin, The Betty Ford Story. Night of the Hunter remake. My lord! Holy shit! There's a remake of Night of the Hunter by this guy. Willing to kill the Texas cheerleader story, etc., etc. He's done loads of shit. Budget worldwide gross. I can't give you. It was made for TV, and for the second Joan Crawford month in a row, there is no trivia for the remake. There's trivia on IMDb. Is there? Yes. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Real life sisters Lynn Redgrave and Vanessa. Oh well, Redgrave that's a fucking given. Played sisters in this movie. <laughs> You treat our listeners like they're stupid. 11 out of 11 people found that interesting. Wow. Um, the film omits the segment in which Blanche is depicted as a full-fledged Hollywood star, as well as the accident sequence, which is discussed but not shown. Um, the accident takes a massive backseat in this film. Oh, don't even go The there. problem is, this is an hour and a half. The original film is 2 hours and 15 minutes. So there's a 45 minutes taken out of the story. Yeah. And um, replaced with fucking shit. And it is, some of it's replaced. And it's like, mate, why are you replacing it? Why would you replace it when you're not going to make up that time? Now, this one's quite interesting. It's not really trivia. It's kind of someone's opinion, but I kind of agree with them, actually. Unlike the 1962 original, this remake portrays the sisters on two levels juxtaposing their animosity with a deeply defined, if strained, affection for one another. There is more of that at the beginning. At the beginning. At the beginning, when they actually share a few fucking I scenes fucking, together. I forgot Blanche was even in the film at one point. It's There's a there's a moment in... We'll, discuss we'll get it. to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. First of all, let's, let's carry on talking about something good. 1962. Yes. Uh, let me take you through it. In 1917, Baby Jane Hudson is a spoilt 
and capricious child actress who performs in vaudeville theatres across the country with her father, who acts as her manager and accompanies her on stage on the piano. What are performing? Um, hit single. Hit single, I've written a letter to Daddy after a child in the audience demands it. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Uh, her success is such that a line of porcelain dolls is made in her image. And yes, the uh, the hits, what, hit single, hit I don't single. know, is I've written a letter to daddy, a song about a dead father, <laughs> uh, which is a little weird because her dad's like right next to it. She's singing, like, hit, the lyrics are, I've written a letter to daddy, his address is heaven above. So her dad's dead. He's playing piano behind you, the He's right there. He's right there. <laughs> It must be a bit awkward, isn't it? Uh, are um, anyone who's not familiar with what happened, ever happened to Baby Jane, you may remember this from House of Wax with Paris Hilton. When they go to the cinema in the town, in the wax oh, town. Oh, is that the film? Uh-huh. Oh, God. Um, yes, so the porcelain dolls are super fucking creepy. Yes. Uh, as are most porcelain dolls. I don't know how people can it's collect true. them. They creep me out. And um, she... She's she's not the nicest child, little no. baby Jane Hudson. Uh, she just say at one point, I make the money and I can get what I want. Um, she's got a point, to be fair. It is her that's making the money. No one's going to see her dad on mm-hmm. piano. Uh, they all think he's fucking dead. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, don't be a sport brat. <laughs> oh, she's a little cunt. Like, she, she really is. And... It it makes for interesting viewing because obviously with some of the things that happen, how the sides switch within the final ten minutes, as compared to the opening ten minutes, it leaves you with a few moral questions with the sort of character that's set up from Jane. Yeah, yeah, Jane isn't. She's not the nicest child. Obviously, she gets a lot of attention when they leave the uh, theatre. There's a crowd of people waiting for her to sign and or or whatever. Um, but she's very young, so it's kind of a bit like, well, you know, if you're at a young age and everyone around you is telling you how wonderful you are, mm-hmm. um, it's going to have an effect, you yeah. know? And, and and I mean everyone. And she's not particularly nice to her mother. Her mother's very dowdy and barely a character in the film, to be honest. And she's also not very nice to her sister Blanche, um, because sister Blanche hasn't really... Come into her talent no. or her looks, really, and she's she's a bit dowdy as well, so um, she kind of gets ignored by the father as well. Um, yeah, just <laughs> this is the problem with making notes and um, going over them. Is that next in my notes? Meanwhile, her shy older sister Blanche lives in her shadow, <laughs> and is treated with contempt by the haughty Jane. I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> As the sisters pass adolescence, their situations undergo a reversal. Jane's style of performing falls out of fashion, and her career declines as she descends into alcoholism, while Blanche becomes an acclaimed Hollywood actress. Mindful of a promise made to their mother. Blanche attempts to maintain a semblance of a career for Jane, going as far as to impose on producers to guarantee a number of acting roles for her. And what I found interesting is that we get a scene um, in 1935, or uh, around that time, so they're older, 
and uh, two producers or, or whatever are watching two old Betty Davis films <laughs> and they sat there and they say how shit her acting yeah. is. Oh, she's awful, she's terrible. Uh, as in Baby Jane Hudson. Uh, but these are actual real Betty Davis yeah. films. It's uh, Parachute Jumper and Ex-Lady. And they're like, oh, she's terrible. She's never going to have a career. I don't know why Blanche is making us put her into these films. She's awful. And I just thought it was hilarious because obviously Betty Davis has given them permission to, you know, so, you know use these films. And uh, there are two films that she yeah, historically hated. She hated being mm-hmm. in it. She thought she was terrible in them. It was, I think she was forced to be a sort of... Um, Blonde bombshell romantic lead. And yeah. It wasn't her thing, uh, but I thought that was hilarious. Oh yeah, no, it's great, and I think the whole thing is great commentary on what it was like to be an actress in Hollywood in those days. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, the whole falling out of fashion thing, as we know, even from a modern perspective, trends come and go. I mean, obviously, we're we're here talking about a horror genre all the time, and we're always going over, you know, trends coming and going and whatnot. Um, but I mean, when those trends are someone's career and you're a woman in Hollywood in the, in, in those days, you know, you, you could be, you could be fucked. You could be out of work for, for so long and you know, just because, I mean, this is where had exploitation come from. All yeah. these actresses are has-beens and it's ironic that this film set up that subgenre whilst commenting on what would make these actresses want to do films like that, you know? Yeah, a huge part, and I'll say it now, because it fits what we're talking about, but a huge part of the difference between the original and the remake is that in the remake, the massive emphasis is on the sibling rivalry. Mm. But in this one, in 1962, there's the sibling rivalry... But then there's also the fact that Jane cannot get over the fact that her career did not take off. Yeah. And it's, it's she at times she blames Blanche, but I don't truly think she believes it. Mm. Um, it's the fact that she was a vaudeville act in theatre. Obviously, cinema happened. Yeah. And her talents, unfortunately for her didn't work no. on in film and she couldn't make it work mm-hmm. and she was you know seen as this massive failure and a flop so she's stuck in the past yeah to when she was a success because she was what seven eight nine or yeah, whatever yeah. and everyone around her was telling her how fucking fabulous she was yeah but you know cut to you know the 30s and everyone's telling how shit she is. Yeah. And the fact that her new persona is her trying her best to look like when she was a child mm-hmm. is what makes it so haunting. Is yeah. that the dark reality of she will never get that back. She will never be that age again. So she'll never get that fame that she had. Which yeah. kind of makes her a sympathetic character even whilst she's doing all this fucking batshit crazy shit. Absolutely. Uh, one evening in 1935, Blanche's career is cut short when she is paralysed from the waist down in a mysterious car accident that is unofficially blamed on Jane. I think the great 
the the title sequence here is is incredible. Yeah, because it, it, this is when the the titles happen. So it's fair, we're fairly into the film. Yeah, you know, comparatively to other films, uh, but yeah, fantastic. This is this is when the film really starts. Yeah. you know, this is the story. This is the uh, bread and butter of the piece. So I think that's a term. Uh, by 1962, Blanche and Jane are living together in a mansion purchased with Blanche's money earning uh, money earnings movie earnings. Blanche's mobility is limited by a wheelchair. Jane, psychotic and resentful of Blanche's success, regularly mistreats Blanche and prepares to revive her old act. Uh, there's also a next door neighbor, Mrs. Yeah. Bates, who's loving the old Blanche Hudson films on TV. She is. Her daughter loves a good gossip about the neighbours mm-hmm. as well, uh, about Blanche and her fat sister Jane. Now, this is fat by 1962 standards. Um, I, I, she doesn't look fat. No. She, looks a, she looks a lot of things, but fat isn't one of them. Uh, <laughs> Blanche also enjoys watching her old films on TV. And what I found really interesting is that... We've had a scene where um, Betty Davis's old films are being critiqued yeah. for her performance. And she's allowed that and she's probably, you know, in on the joke. And she's like, yeah, I hated those films. They were awful. We have a scene now where Blanche is sat enjoying her old films on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's, cannot remember the name, but it's an old Joan Crawford yeah. film. So it's Joan Crawford on the TV. And what Blanche as a character is critiquing is not her old, uh, her acting. Mm. It's the camera angle. Yeah. And she says, I told him to hold that shot longer. Still a pretty good picture. <laughs> and I found that interesting in terms of Joan Crawford mm. and Betty Davis as actresses. Yeah. Where Eve Blanche as a character doesn't critique her own performance... Mm-hmm. She critiques the camera angle. Yeah. Whereas the scene would probably have worked if she's... Oh, oh Lord, you know, I'm on TV. I'm so embarrassed. I wish I would have done this. Mm. And I think that is very interesting uh, in terms of the nature of Joan Crawford oh, and yeah. Betty Davis yeah. as actresses. That Betty Davis is, you know, there and she's, you know, cracking a joke about her own work. Whereas Joan Crawford... Probably wouldn't have allowed that. No, she probably wrote that line herself about the yeah. work. Yeah. Pretty good picture, though. <laughs> uh, the neighbour, Mrs Bates, brings round some really shitty flowers that she's cut from her garden. Uh, they're for Blanche in celebration of her films being on TV. Uh, Jane answers the door and she's quite abrupt, isn't she? Yeah. And she just throws the flowers straight into the sink. Elvira... Their housekeeper... Lesbian queen. ...does not like Jane. And she grasses Jane up to Blanche about her drinking. And the fan mail Jane has written filthy words on and thrown in the bin. Uh, In both films, there's scenes where apparently Jane has written the filthiest and dirtiest (laughs) messages on these uh, letters, these fan mail... We never get to see them, unfortunately. I know, it's very disappointing. I'd love to see what she wrote. Alvira says uh, to the effect of, I don't think I've ever seen those words written down. <laughs> she definitely wrote cunt. <laughs> uh, Jane's not allowed to buy any booze, but she perfectly mimics Jane's voice to uh, get a, 
get some booze over the yeah. telephone. Is that, is that how you did it? She, yeah, she's the equivalent of those kids that stand outside the corner show like, oi, mate, get some fags. Yeah. but she Get per- some booze, mate. Perfectly, I mean, it. it's not seamless at all, is it? It's very obviously Joan Crawford's <laughs> yeah, <I know>, yeah. <laughs> voice. Over the top. Uh, Jane has a moment reminiscing about her long-gone success. And then she has a meltdown when she sees how old she has become in the mirror. Um, expertly acted oh, yeah. by Betty Davis. Yeah. I mean, really fantastic. And there's a few moments in this film where you're like, oh, my God. You know, that is acting. This is one of them. And the cinematography, the, the lighting and having, you know, Betty Davis lit from above mm-hmm. just adds so much to it. Yeah. You know, really just fantastic. It's, I'm going to sound like a right wanker, um, but, you know, that's cinema. That, yeah, it is. That's no, it is. cinema. You're absolutely that's right. That's what yeah. film is, those yeah. kind of moments. She really does a fantastic Des- job. Despite what, you know, people might want to make you think of people running around in sand and talking gibberish for uh, Okay, hours. let's not, let's <laughs> not get into that. We ain't got time for that. No, we'll, we'll leave that to the end of the episode. Um, Alvira, lesbian queen, yes. Uh, yeah, I think she's got a thing for Blanche. Well, they, they hold hands at one point, and uh, Elvira wants to make sure that Blanche hasn't changed her mind about them getting a place together. It's like, oh, girl, okay. Yeah, and um, it it was nice, I said to you, it was nice to see um, Elvira, she is a housekeeper, um, and she is played by an African-American actress. But it was nice to see that she's very well dressed. Mm. She's not dressed in a maid's uniform. We don't actually... She's... Um, as a housekeeper, she's probably more of a... Um, like a, a manager or, you know, someone who deals with the upkeep of the house rather than... She's not scrubbing the floors in any scenes or yeah. anything like that. It, it, was, it was nice to see. And she has more depth. I mean, you know, the implying that there's something going on between them. That's a lot of depth for uh, 1962. And it's certainly, even though it's never said, does still fucking handle better than 1991. Yeah, absolutely. There's no mention for either sister about a husband no, or children no, no, or anything no, no. It's like so refreshing. In, you know, in the, in the days where everybody in Hollywood would meet someone and they'd be married 10 minutes later, it's nice to watch a film from back then where... That's just not a thing. It's no. it's not it's not a problem. And the only sort of implied relationship is between two women. Yeah, yeah. And plus, also, she's a really likable character. She's a protagonist. And let's face it, the sixties are full of white saviors, so it's a nice change. Yeah. Well, I mean, she does die, but she does, but she does it while trying to save. Blanche, she so. does. <laughs> um. So Jane rings her buzzer. No. Blanche rings the buzzer. Excuse me. And Jane's sadness quickly turns to anger. When Blanche informs Jane she intends to sell the house, Jane rightly suspects Blanche will commit her to a psychiatric hospital once the house is sold. She removes the telephone from Blanche's bedroom, cutting her off from the outside world. And she gives her a dead bird for lunch. She does, yeah. So Jane has been spying on Blanche... And uh, Blanche finally gets she finally gets a bit angry, doesn't mm-hmm. she? Uh, telling Jane that she is disgusting, because you know Jane's been nosing through yeah. all of her, and I don't know. Maybe there's the implied relationship with Alvira, mm-hmm. and you know, but they would never say it in 1962. If that was the case, she'd been spying and yeah. spying on her and Alvira. Uh, Jane serves dinner, 
but it's Blanche's pet bird that Jane had said flew away when she was cleaning the cage. Um, Jane leaves the house to place an ad in the paper for a pianist. Um, it's funny, this scene, because she's at the newspaper office and Jane believes the gentleman at the newspaper should know who she is. <laughs> He's very and what, you know, we need your name for the ad. She's like, okay. No, we need your name. I'm Jane Hudson. But I'm baby Jane Hudson. And when she leaves, the other dude goes, who the hell is baby Jane Hudson? <laughs> but again, that, it's, it's funny, it's camp, but it adds to why it's so disturbing and the fact that she believes she looks like she did when she was a child. Yeah. She's going in there thinking she's this, like, seven-year-old child and they're immediately going to be like, oh, fuck yeah, that's, yeah, that's you, baby Jane. But also these two blokes who probably weren't alive no. when she was on the stage. Yeah. They have no idea who she is. No idea. And they shouldn't know. You know, they were on the fucking mm-hmm. internet back then. You weren't Googling shit like that. Um, but that's how delusional she is. You know, I think for her, she's probably still in, you know, the 1910s. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is how the uh, Big Ben girl's going to grow up to be? Oh, shut up. <laughs> you know, I'm the Big Ben girl. Yeah, Blanche tries to get but just in case anyone has no idea. We've had a lot of American listeners recently. If you're familiar with Big Ben in London, um, this little girl who's the absolute face of white privilege went on to a daytime TV show to uh, say how she'd like to replace the uh, the gongs with her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was it. She got a whole section on TV. Just doing this really yeah. shit impression. But like, I don't know. It's funny to watch, so YouTube... Um, it is Big hilarious, but n- nothing made her special. No. Like, why her? Why is she getting this section? Anyway. <laughs> Blanche tries to get the attention of the neighbour, but to no avail. She does throw a note, but Jane returns and finds it first. Jane's got no time for flower talk with Mrs Bates. And Mrs. Bates is absolutely fuming at the lack of manners from baby Jane Hudson. She is fuming. Jane tells Blanche that she's not going to sell the house because baby Jane Hudson made the money to pay for it and daddy bought it for them. Blanche explains that she bought the house for the two of them when she signed her first contract. And I've just written underneath in uh, capital letters. Maybe their parents could have gotten a fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this is another thing. Oh, yeah. This is this still goes on to this very fucking day. The, the idea is that these two women's lives yeah. have been completely ruined yeah. by this sibling rivalry or this, you know, not living up to their you know fame when they were super young Mm -hmm. and it's all the parents fault and i would absolutely say that i would say this is all on the parents absolutely yeah absolutely um which is crazy that still to this day you know parents are still exploiting their child's fame you know mm -hmm. to their children's fame you know i mean look at What's recently ended with Britney Spears. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
um, you know, these managers that are parents and their children are commodities. Yeah. It's, you know, and this this film says so. And when I say the film is layered, you know, I, I really fucking meant it. Mm. You know, this idea that, you know, kind of their parents really, and their mum to a certain degree. I mean, if she'd had the balls, you know, to turn around and say, nah, you know, this kid's being fucked up. Like, yeah. You, kids are twat because of this fame. Maybe let's calm it down a little. Um, but she didn't and the father kept pushing and pushing and you know that's what's created this monster and baby jane hudson so blanche tells jane that if she wasn't in a wheelchair she wouldn't treat her so poorly iconic line alert but you are blanche you are in that chair (laughs) iconic iconic delivery from uh Betty Davis. Jane hands Blanche the note that was meant for Mrs. Bates. Dun, dun, dun. Dinner is served, but Blanche is too scared to open the cloche, which is the um, metal dome thing that you put over. I learnt that. I had to Google that, so I'm quite pleased. A cloche. I'm assuming it's pronounced cloche. I've never heard the word said out loud. Um, but yet she's too scared to open the cloche in case she gets another surprise, like old Tweety Pie. Jane gets a response to her ad from sad act Edwin Flagg. <laughs> Another gay character. Who gets his mum to pretend she's his secretary. Yeah, Edwin Flagg absolutely reads queer. He does. Um, I'm assuming that's the intention. Um, but obviously it's 1962, so they ain't going to tell you that. Uh, Jane leaves Blanche without any food due to her not eating her bird dinner. She blames Blanche for being neurotic. Jane gives Alvira the day off and Alvira says, I'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) She got a laugh out of us. Very immature, but it got a laugh out of us. Jane finally serves a dinner, but says, Blanche, you know we've got rats in the cellar. Done very ominous. Blanche lifts the cloche and it's a cooked rat. Jane finds this hilarious, but Blanche has a meltdown. So this is the first time you really see... I mean, she'd been served a dead pet bird. And she was horrified. And she'd called Jane disgusting. Uh, But this is the first time she has, like, a proper meltdown. Yeah. Where she's like, it's fucking disgusting, this bitch. What is her problem? Mm -hmm. You know, this is the first time. And, spoiler alert... Jane caused her own accident trying to run over... Fuck's sake. Blanche caused her own accident trying to run over Jane. Yeah. So when you, we sat there and like, oh, for fuck's sake, you just slap the bitch. Mm. Just fucking get it. You know, In the now we realise on second viewing that that residual guilt is still there. Yeah. Which is why it takes... It actually takes a lot... For her to finally have a meltdown. And it's really well acted by Joan Crawford. She does do a good job. Mm-hmm. She's She hasn't got the showier role. She hasn't got as much to really sink her teeth into. No. But I do think she does a really good job. Um, she's It's the most glamorous meltdown I've ever seen. Yeah. But she does act it very well. 
Um, where was I? Was it the so runner? Edwin turns up at the uh, house, doesn't he? It's after the rat. After the rat. Oh yeah, excuse me, Mister Flag. Edwin Flag arrives, and Jean seems to like what she sees. So there is a bit of um, all one way, very clearly. Um, but she sort of like when she opens the door, she's quite pleased. Yeah. She's got the hots for Mister Flag. Um, she says, I wonder if you can guess who I am. I'm baby Jane Hudson. <laughs> Get over it, bitch. Uh, who she, are you, may I ask? Who are you, may I ask? Uh, she's a Natalie Imbruglia of the 60s. <laughs> um, she says, oh, I wish daddy was here. He used to say, you can lose everything else, but you can never lose your talent. <laughs> well, she's lost her marbles. So that's one thing she's lost. Um, but again, you know, the dad, the dad there saying, you can lose everything else, but you can never lose your talent. So yeah, what? Said he'll lose lose your money. house, lose your family, lose your mind, you know, lose your friends. Yeah. But as long as you've got talent, you know. Uh, Blanche buzzes to see who is there, but Jane accuses her of wanting him for herself <laughs> and gives her a slap. Uh, Betty gives us a horrifying and iconic rendition of I've written a letter to daddy just impeccable yeah and again the cinematography is sensational um it's quite telling that Mr. Flag struggles to suppress a giggle throughout <laughs> um I did and I think his acting is very good forgive oh, me yeah. I can't remember his name he was Oscar nominated for Best Supporting mm. Actor. I think yeah. his acting was very good. Even um, if he does put on a terrible fake British accent it is when a he terrible, goes to uh, Jane's house. It is a terrible fake British accent. <laughs> uh, Jane and Flag reminisce about their fathers as if it's a competition. Uh, clearly, Blanche and Jane's father has projected a lot of his own failed career on them. And Jane in particular. Mm -hmm. So they talk a lot about, oh, you know, um, Flag's father, he played um, piano um, in an orchestra. And then Jane, it's as if it's a comment when they're not actually listening to each other. Yeah. So, well, my father, he played piano and the banjo and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then we find out that... Jane and Blanche's father had tried show business, but it didn't work mm-hmm. out for him. Come on, projection. Jane is put out when Flag mentions his mother, thinking he has a wife or a lady friend. And I just put here, I think she's barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> yeah, he does say, no, nothing like that. No, nothing like that, no. And he's at the age where he maybe should... Mm-hmm. You know, not sort of balk at the idea of a wife or a lady friend, but of course. Uh, Jane agrees to pay him $100 a week, which I Google searched, and that is equivalent to $900 today, <laughs> which is a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and he's, you know, that's what he's in it oh, for. He's, he's, hit he's the absolutely, he's absolutely um, in it for the money. Uh, Jane drives Flag home, and whilst rummaging in Jane's room for food, Blanche discovers an old photo of herself with her face scribbled over, and their checkbook that shows a $98 purchase of costumes for Jane's new act. Blanche drags herself down the stairs to get to the telephone to call the doctor for help. 
Jane returns to find Blanche on the phone and beats her unconscious before mimicking Blanche's voice to dismiss the doctor. After tying Blanche to her bed and locking her in her room, Jane abruptly fires Elvira when she comes to work. So it must be Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While Jane is away at the bank, the suspicious Elvira sneaks into the house and attempts to access Blanche's room. Concerned by the lack of response, Elvira tries to break open the door with a hammer. Jane returns home and reluctantly gives Elvira the key. As soon as Elvira enters Blanche's room, Jane takes the hammer and kills Elvira. So this is a horror film that yeah. takes a, you know, it, it's a reminder, it's like, oh, you know, this is a horror film, um, which we knew from um, Betty Davis's performance. Um, but you, you have to have someone die, you know, at some point, don't you? Because you have to have that... Um, it, it's fear. one of those. It's one of those moments where it just elevates it because you know, okay, she's at the point now where she's willing to kill. Yeah, absolutely. But you, for us to know that Blanche is in danger, yeah. we have to know mm-hmm. that Jane is capable of murder. Yeah. Uh, Edwin calls for Jane, but she doesn't let him in due to Blanche being tied up and Elvira's dead body being on the floor. <laughs> Mrs. Bates almost catches Jane moving Alvira's body. She's a nosy bitch. I'm a nosy bitch, that Mrs. Bates. It's because of Mrs. Bates that Alvira's dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Because she was the one who was like, oh, yeah, your housekeeper's in there. Yeah, she was, yeah. But there's like a gap in the hedge and she just yeah. constantly walking through. I thought, fuck off, Mrs. Bates. Um, do you think... No, it's probably Yeah, a it's novel. definitely a psycho novel. Do you think it is? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Edwin and his mother argue about Jane Hudson running over Blanche. His mother is horrified that three days after the accident, Jane was found in a hotel room with a man she only just met. Edwin suggests that that's how he was conceived and storms out. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's quite amusing how it, his mum slut shames Jane, but then he slut shames her right yeah. back. Edwin's accent goes from English to American and back again throughout the scene. Um, I'm assuming it's a the character living a lie mm-hmm. and maybe pretending he's British. I think so. To seem more, um, you know, posh. Yeah. More interesting to Jane. Uh, even though the mother is British. Uh-huh. But my assumption is that he was probably born in America. Mm-hmm. So he would just have an American accent. Um, I, I'm assuming it's the character rather than bad acting. Yeah. Um, it is a strange English accent, but it was 19... I don't know how English people sound in 1962, apart from the, the Beatles and they're from Liverpool. Uh, a few days later, the police call to tell Jane that Alvira's cousin has reported her missing. Jane panics and prepares to leave, taking Blanche with her. Before they can leave, though, an inebriated Edwin is escorted to the house by police. Edwin was hanging around outside the house, fuming he hasn't had his $400 advance yet. Because she promised him a, a, a month in advance, didn't she? Uh-huh. Jane gives Edwin her baby Jane doll like she gave all her friends, all the people she worked with. So she says, you know, have this. You're my good Jane Judy. Doll. Here's your doll. But she said, I, I always gave these to all my friends, all the people I worked with. So 
her friends, her only friends, were the people she worked with. Yeah. Um, so that's another telling, that's another piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, she's obviously had no friends because she was too busy working. After messing around with the doll, much to Jane's horror, Edwin discovers Blanche bound to her bed. Edwin flees and notifies the authorities. Jane, in a fit of infantile regression, takes Blanche to a beach where she sang as a child, attracting the attention of nearby beachgoers. Blanche, lying starved, dehydrated and near death on a blanket, tells the real story of the car accident to relieve Jane of guilt, saying she is a paraplegic through her own fault. On the night of the accident, Blanche tried to run Jane over because she was angry at Jane for mocking her at a party earlier that night. Blanche's spine broke when her car struck the iron gates outside their mansion and she dragged herself in front of the car's hood to stage the accident and frame Jane. Blanche took advantage of Jane's shock and subsequent bender, removing the what did you just call me? Removing the real dynamics of the accident from her mind and subjected Jane to a life of guilt, loneliness and servitude. Um She's also a little cunty as well when she says Jane you weren't ugly then I made you that way <laughs> uh, excuse me another line that Joe Collins definitely put in there herself Crawford <laughs> Joe, Collins Crawford she is not the, the bitch she's the not stud. a bitch or the stud <laughs> she's certainly played bitches in films but uh, now aware of the truth Jane sadly states that the sisters could have been friends all along After Jane gets ice cream for herself and Blanche from a nearby kiosk, she is recognised by two police officers who ask her to lead them to Blanche. Jane dodges the officer's inquiry and dances before a crowd of bemused onlookers while the officers find Blanche and rush to confirm her condition. Um, And the film ends. Yeah. So you don't really know Blanche's fate. We assume she dies. It's a great final scene. It and really I love is. The, the final shot of the big crowd paying attention to Jane whilst only two police officers are there to see Blanche, especially after the revelation that she just revealed about the whole, um, you know, switching places and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and they switch places last minute. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, the whole imagery of, of them two on the beach... You know, and Blanche dying there while she's all happy and going around in a in a child makeup and whatever. It is it is fucking creepy. It is it is really unsettling. And and we were in an age now where we've seen this done by drag queens many a times, you know, the scenes from this film, um, you know, high camp parodies and everything. Because it's easy to do. But it is scary, it is unsettling. It really is. Yeah. The imagery of that final scene especially. And the the idea that, you know, Blanche did try to kill Jane completely changes on a rewatch. Mm, yeah. Sort of everything that happened yeah. before. Now, it doesn't mean that we're on Jane's side. No. I mean, she does some horrible things. Um, but you do kind of think, well, actually, Blanche, you are, this is your, partly your fault. And obviously Jane completely regresses mm-hmm. to a child by the end of the film. 
she has no idea where she is or, or what's going on. Um, and I think that it makes her a really, like you said, really haunting final image mm. and, and final scene. I also, it, it's quite funny that if she was as famous as she thought she was, then the beachgoers would have noticed her yeah. and the police would yeah. have been called a lot sooner. Yeah. I did think that was quite a funny thing uh, to think of. And that brings us to 1991's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So, in the 1940s, Baby Jane Hudson is a world-famous child star with a song that isn't quite as good as I've written a letter to Daddy. <laughs> Jane dominates her shy sister Blanche, who, as Jane's understudy and stunt double, longs to have an acting career of her own. It is implied that Jane tends to become jealous when their father shows affection to Blanche. Um, yeah, in that opening scene, that kid had a lot of fucking makeup on. Oh, I know. A lot. And I understand maybe they're shooting a black and white film. Um, but maybe they should have put it in black and white because it just looked like that kid was pancaked with You know makeup. why? You're about Jane, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Why? Because this does the classic remake sim and it over-explains everything. Like, the unnecessary stuff. Uh. Like... We see her with all that makeup on, of course. That's that we're like when we see her when she's older. Like, oh yeah, that explains it. She had that on as a child. Yeah. And then we get a, a whole sequence of them at the beach and the whole lines about we can we live at the beach. Oh, this is our happy place. Blah blah blah. blah. Mm. Yeah. So then we know what's going on at the ending. Bitch, the original didn't have this, yet it was still effective. Yeah. We knew what was going on. Still, we didn't need that. It's you don't true. have to over-explain. It's true. By the 1960s, Blanche had, be- had become a serious and celebrated actress, whilst Jane's career fades into obscurity as she, provi- as she proves unable to transition to adult acting. She appears in smaller roles in Blanche's films, where her scenes usually get edited out. We know this through some exposition-heavy dialogue in which they tell each other exactly what happened like they didn't already know. It's true. Oh, you're in all my films. Yes, but I'm always edited out. Oh, you, yeah. And then you're in this, and you did this. Yeah, she knows this. Shouldn't she know this already? It is one of those funny things where it's like, is this only coming up now? Yeah. I mean, you've lived together for 25 years, you, or whatever. You know, how is this conversation only happening mm-hmm. now? <laughs> she appears in... Um, oh, no, I've already told you that. Blanche's career is ultimately cut short by a car accident that paralyzes her from the waist down. After which Jane was committed to a psychiatric hospital. Everyone believes that Jane, jealous of her sister's popularity, had run her over with her car and then gone insane with guilt. In the present day, the aging sisters live together in a crumbling Brentwood mansion where a somewhat unstable Jane, who still dresses herself in her old baby Jane clothes and makeup, cares for the paraplegic Blanche. Oh, by the way, paraplegic, by the way. Uh, also, by the way, this looks Fuck all like a mansion. Mm. This just looked like a normal house. This looked like a big house. It's a big house, but it does look like a normal house. <coughs> oh, me. you're right. Yes. Yeah, the me. house wasn't that bad, can't <laughs> Excuse me. Blanche's films have recently become available on home video and television, because we're in 1991, launching her into a modest comeback. Amy Steele, the queen herself, Ginny from Friday the 13th Part 2, Previous star of the podcast lives next door with her boyfriend Frank, and she now looks like a cross between Hannah from S Club Seven and Olivia Newton John. She does. 
she's an absolute queen and she's the only reason I didn't give this film half a star because I'm glad to see her in a film other than Friday the 13th Part 2 and April Fool's Day happy to see her get that credit and she's probably the best actress in the whole film oh okay uh, Blanche watches herself on the TV and uh, it's not one of Vanessa Redgrave's old films they ain't watching The Devils or uh, no <laughs> or Julia um, it's seemingly been shot for this film mm-hmm. But it looks it's just Vanessa Redgrave at that age with a curly blonde wig yeah. on having a love scene with a man with grey hair. So I'm not sure how old this film's meant to be. No. No. <laughs> is it, it meant to be from the sixties? Is it? it? It is a little weird, um because in present day she absolutely looks like Annie Lennox, by the way. Yes, she does. Yeah. Were you about to say that um, Ginny isn't the best actress in this film? Yeah, no, of course. Vanessa Redgrave is the best actress in this film. <laughs> yeah, te- yeah, in this film she is, yeah. yeah. But not with her performance. <laughs> I also it, I find it interesting, and it's, not, it's nothing that the film touches on. It's something that I've just made up myself to make it more interesting. <laughs> um, it's the fact that seemingly... Um, Blanche's career ends because she's in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, so she gets no acting roles whatsoever because obviously there are no acting roles for people in wheelchairs. Yeah. I just found that interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's the f- uh, original film as well and it's not touched on, um, but I, I thought it was quite telling that seemingly her career ended because she can't walk. Yeah. Because, well, Lord forbid, they write characters for disabled people. Yeah. And it is, it's kind of... It's a clever nod in the way that the actress in both of these songs playing the wheelchair-bound character isn't in a wheelchair. So this character is presenting that issue whilst they're still casting someone who's not in a wheelchair to be in a wheelchair in the film. Yeah, that's true, actually, because we never actually see either of the characters walking. No. There's no flashbacks or anything like that. That involves the actresses yeah. standing up. So that is interesting, actually. Connie brings some cookies over in a greasy bag and asks if Jane and Blanche would like to come over for dinner. But Jane tells her that she doesn't go out often and abruptly says goodbye and has a laugh about it. Meanwhile, Connie is fuming and tells Frank all about it. But when Jane has a laugh about it, she literally... She has a laugh with Blanche about it. They're like... they're. Good Judy's in this film. Yeah, it's it's a, a strange start to the film because they're actually getting on quite well, mm. uh, which was not apparent in the original. Um, but yeah, they're good, good, good Judy's. <laughs> Dominic uh, Blanche's uh, physical therapist, and this film's equivalent of Alvira. Yeah. Let's himself in. Jane is fuming about it. It's just that he and Blanche are, are a thing. It, it's implied, she'll say. Yeah. Um, which pisses me off because, I mean, you're a little bit further than 1962 now. That relationship in the original was glaringly obvious that they were lesbians. Just fucking hire another woman. Like, is it yeah. really that difficult? Yeah, You've got gay characters in this film, but I suppose it'd be difficult for you to represent a gay character as a good person. Yeah. We'll get on to that, won't we? Well, Blanche has just had a haircut. Yes. So she already had short hair. She asks for a haircut from Jane, 
Jane gives her a haircut but cuts it too short. Mm-hmm. Which I, ju- I just found a little weird. Like, you've already got short hair and you've asked for a haircut and then you're shocked at how short your hair is. <laughs> but if she, if she had had... You know, give her that fucking curly blonde wig from yeah. the, the film. If that and, you know, Jane had given her a shit haircut after, you know, having long hair, I would have understood that more. But it just comes across... It doesn't come across as Jane being psychotic in any way. No. She's just trying to give her the latest trend. She's trying to make her look like Annie Lennox even but more. But she's, she's just given a shit haircut. And then Jane... Uh, and then Blanche is like, Oh, what have you done? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I can see if I can fix it. So it just comes across as like sisterly bickering. Mm, yeah. Rather than in the original where, you know, Jane is already well into her meltdown. Yeah. Um, Dominic goes upstairs to give Blanche her massage and shows her a picture of a family that Jane has vandalised in some way, which we don't get to see again. Yeah, again, the dirtiest things. They discuss how they're worried that Jane's old mental problems are returning and that her pranks might turn violent if she finds out Blanche is selling the house without her knowledge. Jane resents both her sister's enduring popularity and her own role as a caretaker and takes out her resentment on Blanche with vicious childlike pranks, such as putting worms in Blanche's food. Oh, no. In the original, you know, you get a fucking full bird. Yeah. And it's, oh, oh, some worms. Oh, God. Oh. And she's not actually that horrified about it. No, she's like, ah! I suppose... It's the most s- amount of energy she gives an old fucking film. I suppose for the same reason Blanche didn't react too badly to the bird in the original one. Mm. Um, you know Jane's seashell necklace yeah did you not think it made her look like she was on the Flintstones it was <laughs> fucking <No>. annoying me <laughs> oh her old her fashion sense in this film going crazy or not there's no excuse for that shit you're fucking awful the problem and I might as well bring it up now my issue with uh, Jane's look in this film is that it's not out there enough no she doesn't look grotesque enough. She just kind of looks like she's stuck in the 60s, but or just can't put makeup on, or she can't do her hair properly. She's just been to a vintage shop and bought some old-fashioned clothes. Exactly. It's kind of... I've actually seen people who kind of look like that. Yeah. Who have, you know, it's like, oh, I'm ready for my night out now. And it's like, oh, well, your blush is thick, and you should probably brush your hair. Hmm. Um, no, no one I know personally. Wow, shady bitch. No, people, but people <laughs> I've seen, you know, I worked in a pub for seven years, um, rather than the, the grotesque monster from the original, mm-hmm. you know? So it just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not enough. And I actually believe Lynn Gredgrave's performance... Lynn Gredgrave? Lynn Gredgrave's <laughs> performance isn't enough. Like she didn't go far enough. Yeah, we'll discuss that when we get to performances. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot to say about her performance. Yeah. Jane has a scene of playing piano, singing and scribbling on her face. Does absolutely nothing in comparison to the original. Was there another film at the time that had done something similar? I feel like... Oh, was she? Um, did she play Goodbye Horses? Was no, she loved to do a dance yeah. for us. I'm um, getting uh, Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah, when yeah. Diane yeah. Ladd uh, does the lipstick all over the face. Yeah. Jane also intercepts all of the mail addressed to her sister, particularly fan letters, and constantly belittles Blanche by reminding her that she would never would have had a career if it wasn't for Jane's success. 
Hoping that she could also stage a comeback, Jane goes to a video store to see which of her old films are available on tape. The generic royalty-free hip-hop music in this video store is fucking criminal. Why is it so loud? Oh my god, you can barely hear the characters and it is so generic. They never paid a penny for that music. It's bad. Billy Korn. With a K. Sadly, gay character. Like the metal band. The store's owner recognises her as Baby Jane, much to her delight. Believe it also takes away from what that scene in the original was. It's obviously the equivalent of the newspaper scene. Um, believing that the Hudson sisters might, must be extremely wealthy, Billy offers to manage her comeback and promises to arrange a spot in a talent show for a thousand dollars. Jane is thrilled by his attention and agrees without really considering the offer. Do you think that she likes him romantically like Jane and Flag in the original film? I don't think so, no. No. no, because in the original film, she genuinely seemed upset when things went wrong with him near mm. the end of the film. She couldn't give a shit here. But then again, I mean, with the performance, you can't really tell. I think the fact that he knew who she was mm. was a sign yeah. that, you know, he doesn't play for the same team. So... In a bizarre series of events, and not a very good series of events, she doesn't realise that Billy Corn is a shady second-rate con artist who is only after her money. He knows that she'd never succeed in a comeback, and he sees her only as a meal ticket he can use to pay off a pair of underage gay twin hustlers who are after him daily for money because he took nude photos of them. I shit you not. That is a real fucking plot line. That is a real plot. And they wear, like, knitted vests and jeans. Um, Yeah, completely unnecessary. Absolutely. This character did did not need a backstory. No. And from this point onwards, he becomes the focus point of this film. Blanche may as well not even be in it. It is his story. It's weird how much time he gets in this film. I don't know how they're trying to portray this character. I really don't. And it, it is troublesome. Um, I mean, you know, you got the whole, oh, it's a different time, blah, 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 whatever. The, no, the, this representation is fucking terrible. By this point, I'm sure this film would have already been huge within the LGBTQ plus community. So it feels like a big fuck you that they've removed all the camp value from the film for starters. And then the gay representation is a fucking paedophile. Yeah, essentially, yeah. You know? He's, but it, he's it's never... Of, he needs the money because he's being blackmailed, because he took pictures of underage guys. Yeah, but they put him at the centre of the film like he's a protagonist. D- to a certain degree, yeah. They don't deal with this. They, like you say, you mention something, you don't deal with it. You know, I mean, you could have... There's been a film about failed actress in Hollywood. You could have put this into the abuse of children within Hollywood. It would have been fucking dark. It would have been really deep. But at least they would have done something with the storyline. This is just another plot. This, there's no thought being put. It's, oh, yeah, we'll just have him take some pictures of underage boys and then that's why you need money. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, anything. But anything. you don't need a reason. In the original, yeah. Flag... Just needed just, a job. He was, yeah, he needed money. He yeah. wanted money. He saw his opportunity. Like, that's it. We didn't need a big backstory. Yes, we met his mother... Mm. You know, but that was a very small, you know, um, time yeah. in a, a two hour and 15 minute film. This takes up a lot of time yeah. in an 
hour and a half film. So we're, we're already having to cut a lot from the original film, mm. which is, you know, damn near perfect. Yeah. So you're failing there, and then you're replacing it with this unnecessary... So we don't get any of the accident that took place, mm. which is a pivotal part of the film. Yeah. Because we needed a backstory for Billy Corn. Yeah. Fuck off. Back at home, Blanche tries to call her sister's psychiatrist, only to have Jane overhear the conversation and then physically attack her. As Jane calls the doctor back and flawlessly mimics her voice to convince him that all is well, Blanche realises that her sister has become increasingly unhinged and probably wishes her dead. It took her to that point in the film. She tries to escape, but Jane locks her in her upstairs bedroom with no means of communication. Blanche tries to get Connie and Frank's attention, but they're too busy exercising. Oh, God, yeah, it's really <laughs> generic music as well. The underage twins try introducing Billy to an even younger boy as he's on his way to Jane's house. Why? Yeah. Why did that need to be in there? Again, so much has been taken off in the original, so we can have a scene of them introducing a child who is easily about 13, 12-ish... To this man offering for him to have a go on him. What's going on? It's really weird. So weird. It's fucking disgusting. The iconic piano scene is after this, and it's not so iconic this time around. Feels like it's. It genuinely feels like it's purposely trying not to be camp. Yeah, it's. The song is There Should Be Love. And it's. A song from the 60s, so it's more upbeat than I've written a letter to Daddy and, you know, it's more in keeping with the modern sort of elements of the film. Um, but I, I was just surprised that... Because, I'll explain. There Should Be Love was a duet between Jane and Blanche mm. from a film they did together. So I, I thought it was a strange choice to make this the central song of the film because you would think Jane would be too bitter to want to sing a film, a a song that was a duet with her sister. You'd be like, well, I don't want to sing that because, you know, old fuckface, who I've got locked up and I'm starving Mm. upstairs was part of that. You know, I want to sing one of my songs. Mm. But no, that... You know, that's the song that she chooses, and she's perfectly fine with that, which is weird. So after being starved for days, Blanche rummages through Jane's bedroom drawers for food and discovers that she has been forging her signature on checks to steal her money. Uh, in both of these films, actually, the bank's security and data protection policies are fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, yeah, she yeah, yeah. does not try hard to get money, <laughs> and, and they give it to her quite easily. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, my sister wants me to take out one million dollars. Oh, okay. Dominic arrives for his uh, physical therapy session and discovers that Jane has been banned and gagged, uh, as banned and gagged her sister with duct tape. As he is attempting to cut her loose, Jane stabs Dominic to death with a pair of scissors and hides his body in the basement screening room before leaving for the performance. Billy is arranged for her in an awful red dress. But that's Dominic gone. Just, you know, two scenes we gone. barely knew thee. Um, and yeah, that that dress is fucking hideous. Yeah, so she's got she's got hair and pigtails. Yeah, but pigtails, but also like with hair still in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's what like sequin red, yeah. ill fitting, 
I'm assuming that's the point, but um, yeah, it's meant to be sixties, but it's not. It's not good. Jane begins to lip sync to uh, "There Should Be Love" and is shocked to learn that the talent show Billy arranged is actually a drag show, complete with Billy himself dressed as Blanche. So, not only are they giving us terrible gay representation, he's also a drag queen too. Yes. You know, this film's obviously hates the whole community, so you might as well just go all out. Also, terrible drag queen. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is it, that makeup is not flattering at all. Well, it was a long time before Drag Race, where <laughs> everyone was judged by the same standard. But um, e- even back then, it's yeah, he looks a bit busted. When they, very, tried very to, <laughs> when they tried to perform a duet from their childhood, the audience ridicules Jane's appearance and her poor singing voice, leading her to suffer a mental breakdown and be forced off stage. Still dressed as Blanche, Billy follows, arriving back at the mansion ahead of Jane. Searching through the house for her, he came upon Blanche, banned and gagged near death. Uh, horrified, he starts down the steps to contact law enforcement, he is stopped by Jane, violently on the brink of insanity and wielding a broken trophy. At first, believing that he is somehow Blanche. Well, oh, was that a broken it trophy? Was, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay, I'll explain myself after you finish. <laughs> uh, she thinks he's Blanche at first, and then understanding that he's going to bring the police, she stabs him to death with a trophy. Yeah, which was the part I was shocked by, because I didn't realise it was a broken trophy. <laughs> So I was there and I was like, she got this award when she was a child actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very big and looks very hefty. Yeah. And then when she stabs him with it, I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> you know, they've given this child this fucking hefty award statue and they can fucking stab you. <laughs> like, this is a health and safety nightmare. Also, if they didn't have the paedophile storyline in there, how great would that have been to have seen uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane remake where Jane is forced into a fucking ju- drag show with someone else dressed as a sister? Yeah. That would have been so funny. If it was if it was any other film that handled it correctly, uh, that would have been great. Yeah, if it wasn't the Billy character. Yeah. Um, which, I'll give you a little history. I saw that clip on YouTube... So when I found out there was a remake, I watched that clip on YouTube and I saw the bit with Drag Queen, not realising who that character was, Mm -hmm. you know, until we watched it. Um, So I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, you know, her meltdown moment um, becomes because uh, her sister's been replaced by a drag queen. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Um, it doesn't work so well in the context of the no. film as a whole. Finally coming to her senses and realises that soon the police will be closing in on her, Jane puts Blanche in her car and drives to the beach where their fondest memories took place during their childhood. Severely dehydrated and weak from starvation, Blanche admits that she had been driving the car on the night of the accident, but it allowed Jane, who had been too in- incapacitated with drugs and alcohol, to remember to take the blame. She apologises for never telling Jane the truth and Jane goes to buy ice lollies. The police arrive to find Blanche unconscious and near death and in a fucking stupid scene, they radio for help for Blanche. Jane realises what's happening and walks into the sea, attempting suicide before a police officer drags her out. At first she resists, but then she wraps her arms around him, calls him Papa, 
And the last shot of Jane's smiling face uh, is of Jane's smiling face as she goes willingly with the police. Fucking dumb. Yeah, what was show. the point of her throwing, uh, running into the sea? So rushed. The whole film is so rushed so they can make place, make, make space for this fucking Billy storyline. It is so, ridiculous. Was he a famous actor at the time? I didn't think no. so. He'd been in Robocop 2, like, what? A year before, yeah. maybe? Like, I don't know if it was a big Very role. Very strange choices. The film makes some really weird choices. And when you watch it back to back with the original, it makes all the wrong choices. Yeah. It's like you kept that, but you, you know, you haven't developed this. Yep. I mean, you've developed this Billy character. Like, mm-hmm. why? But then you haven't, you know... Developed other characters. Exactly. I just don't get it. Awful. I fucking hate it so much. Getting into the comparisons. Yeah, should be love is a bop, though. <sighs> is it? Yeah, I can't it remember is. how it goes. Like, I forgot the soundtrack. There should be love. I, I didn't say I wanted to remember it. Thank you. Cinematography scares camp value and soundtrack. So. Have you added camp value to this I film? have. I have. Because it's normally kills, isn't it? So. Oh, of course. Yeah. 1962, I mean, as we've said, beautifully shot. The cinematography is on another level. It's incredibly intense, even on the rewatch where you know what's going to happen. Um, the camp value is fucking through the roof, and it doesn't take anything away from how suspenseful it is, and the, and the soundtrack is haunting. It, it really is, and it really adds to the suspense. Shout out to the costume designers oh, as well, absolutely. which yeah. actually did win an Oscar. Yeah, um, really, just impeccable. And really, really, for the budget, for what was a low budget film, mm. they really do well. Yeah, with what they got, they really do. Yeah, yeah, incredible film. And, and just yeah, on all. Do you counts. have Do you have anything to say individually about those four things? Uh, not really, not what you, more than what you said, uh, just as I mentioned previously, um, Betty Davis is shot perfectly yeah. in this film and that actually is one of the scariest moments yeah, yeah. is, you know, looking at her and just her, her makeup, it's almost a mask. Yeah. It's just, you know, incredibly shot. Um, camp, the camp value is, you know, it is there. Oh, we, we love a bit of camp. Um, and soundtrack, wonderful. Um, I've written a letter to Daddy, is mm-hmm. haunting. Yeah. Um, particularly when sung by Betty Davis. Yeah, just top notch. 1991. It, it is shot like a Lifetime Hallmark it's Christmas It's a TV film. movie. It looks like a TV movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely no camp value at all. There isn't... There because is, any oh, camp I'm, value that is to be found is destroyed by certain plot choices. Yeah, exactly. There's no suspense. I didn't feel worried. Because they were so friendly with each other from the get-go. I First of all, I didn't feel worried for Blanche. Second of all, I forgot Blanche was even there. So Yeah, but I kind of knew that Blanche would survive. Mm. So, and then obviously I knew... Who was there? Was who was gonna die? Um, when Billy died, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Good, paedophile's dead. Yeah, yeah, I was like, deserved, you know. But you know, why would why was he such a big part of the film? Yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, and I, I just got a completely forgettable soundtrack. I just apart from the hip hop song in the video store. And there should be love. If if there should be love was done right, you would have been like, yeah, camp value, top notch, <laughs> soundtrack, impeccable. But it wasn't. So the winner is nineteen sixty two on all is. accounts. Characters, Baby Jane Hudson, played by Betty Davis in 1962, and Lynn Redgrave in 1991. Um, Betty Davis is a powerhouse. I mean, it gets to the point where you forget you're watching Betty Davis at times. Yeah. It, it is unbelievable. It, you know, she is a force to be reckoned with in this film, and her childlike innocence that she has at times... Just makes it even more terrifying, especially when paired with that makeup, trying to make herself look like she's a child again. It is it is fucking horrifying to watch. Um, but at the same time, absolutely legendary and so camp. It feels like for Betty Davis, and she's been in some incredible films and given incredible performances, but it's like she was born to play the role. Yeah. Like, you can see, and you can see she's acting... And she's doing a wonderful job. But you can tell that she's also really enjoying it. Uh-huh. And she's really enjoying playing a character that she can really sink her teeth into. Mm-hmm. That she can really make something of. And she can kind of be the epitome of everything she stood for. A layered female character that isn't necessarily likeable. Mm-hmm. But is true and yeah. is honest mm-hmm. and is honest in appearance and is honest in performance. Yeah. And she does that. And it really, it, it truly is one of the, the best performances put to screen. And, and I haven't seen the other films that were nominated for an Oscar. I could say the same about, you know, The Miracle Worker mm. and Bancroft and The Miracle Worker, you know, after we watched it. But sat here, right here, right now. That is just really one of the best performances by an actress put on on film. Yeah. And I could say that about quite a few of her performances as well. And I it, think she's incredible. It's so good to the point that Lynn Redgrove just didn't even want to try and match it. Because, I mean, I know it's a big deal going up against something like that. I, I mean, the film as a whole, it, you know, it is a lot to try and match. I get that. Fucking hell. At least put some effort into it. There is no energy in Lynn Redgrave's performance at all. No. Nothing. It's, it's very weird because obviously when you're remaking a film and an iconic performance, you don't just want to repeat what Betty Davis did. Mm. And I can see what they were going for. A little more understated. A little more... Um, I know it came out the same year. But a little more Hannibal Lecter where um, it's less shouty, less big, and more creepy. Mm. And it does not work. No. It does it, not it, it work doesn't. whatsoever. It really doesn't. It's amazing that her and Vanessa Redgrave are, are sisters in real life because they have absolutely no chemistry whatsoever. Because you could tell they liked each other yeah. in real life. You could tell they liked each other in real life. Yeah, she, she's never she's never believably threatening at all. Never, never creepy. She just, her outfits are awful. She just looks like a fucking hipster. Uh, the makeup's terrible. 
and, and not even in a, terif- a terrible because it's terrifying. No. It, it's just really bad. Like, just because it's really bad doesn't make it scary. There's a certain art to Betty Davis's makeup that made it so scary. There's nothing to this. She's just slapped it on and hoped for the best. Yeah. The 1962 film is a horror film because of Betty Davis yeah. and because of the character of Baby Jane Hudson. 1991 is not a horror film. No. Because the character of Baby Jane Hudson and Lynn Redgrave's performance doesn't even go close no. to horror. It really doesn't. I, just, I don't know why you wouldn't try. It's I, I, I really don't. You don't know? give us nothing. She, absolutely nothing. So, of course, Betty Davis is our winner. Moving on to Blanche Hudson, played by Joan Crawford in 1962, and Vanessa Redgrave in 1991. I mean, I think this is subtle and serious for Crawford. She's always got that bit of a uh, feistiness, a bit of more camp energy in her other performances. Yeah. Um, surrounding her whilst, you know, still trying to look glamorous. Um, and her, uh, you know, of course, her chemistry with Betty Davis is incredible. But I, I think it's good. It's, it's really good. I can see why Betty Davis got the Oscar nomination and Joan Crawford never. It's not to say it isn't a fantastic performance. It's just obviously... Betty Davis took things to another level. And, of course, Crawford had a lot to work with there. Uh, yeah, it's... it's um, Jane is the showier role. Yeah. It's the one that will gather all the attention. Mm-hmm. It's the one that has more layers to it. And there's more to do. Yeah. But Joan Crawford, actually, as a, a foil to Baby Jane... And to Betty Davis, does a great yeah. job. When she's in danger, it's believable. Yeah, exactly. You know, in comedy, you have the straight man, and then you have the fool, essentially. Mm. And I think horror plays like that as well, mm-hmm. where you have to have that opposing energy yeah. between the two. Or it's just one mad woman going crazy by herself. You know, you need that comparison. And, uh, you know, Joan Crawford did that wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she did. She did that. Vanessa Redgrave is absolutely forgettable. She, she, she looks like she's trying to do a Joan Crawford impression. She looks like she's trying to go for what she did in that original uh, version. But it just doesn't work. She's just... She's... I really felt like so she just plain. had nothing to do. Yeah. Like, there there was no layers to the character. There was no. nothing to the character. Ap- apart from one moment where she had a shit haircut. And she was kind of annoyed, but then not annoyed. I, ju- I just... I genuinely feel like the, the, the character in the remake was so poorly written. Mm. That poor Vanessa Redgrave just... Didn't know what to do, you know. True. She had nothing to do. It's true. Just like this is so plain. Yeah. So Joan Crawford is our winner. Alvira Stitt slash Dominic, Mady Norman in nineteen sixty two, and Bruce A Young in nineteen ninety one. I mean, what's it to say? Mady Norman's fantastic in you know a, a character that isn't a massive character in the film, but still feels like that bit of hope there for Joan Crawford's character. Yeah. Um. Really great performance. You know. I mean. Lesbian queen, you're already winning there for us. 
Oh, um, and impeccably dressed. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Going against the stereotypes that were around those days for African-American characters in films. If yeah. they were a maid or something, they would be in a maid's outfit, and that's what their character would be. They'd maybe give a few words of wisdom every now and then, but that's the core of their character. They're there to work. Whereas this character is there to work, but she's getting involved in the action, and she is, you know, she is a great character. She is. And all you have to sometimes look at things in the context of when they were made. And in 1962, it was refreshing to see it. I mean, I wasn't yeah. there at the time. But from films I've seen around that period, it's refreshing to see a character like that. Obviously, yeah. today, I would like to see whatever happened to Baby Jane with, you know, a minority cast. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah. would be interesting. And I think we could get... A lot of good ideas mm-hmm. from that. But in 1962, it's, you know, you have to sort of sometimes put it in the context of when it was made. And she does a wonderful job. Yeah. She does a wonderful job. It's not it's not a huge role, but she does great. Bruce A. Young only gets two scenes. Uh, it might as well have not been in the film. It might as well have not been. It really... Completely wasted. I don't know what to say. Yeah. There's nothing he to does. Say. He does what he does. Yeah, he looks so, like he lo- gives a great massage. Okay, <laughs> Mady Norman is the winner, and finally, Edwin Flagg slash Billy Corn, uh, Victor Buono in 1962, and John Glover in 1991. A- again, you know, Edwin is not a massive character in the film, but he's still his presence feels valid in the film. You know, it adds a part to it that. He, it felt like it needed to be there. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, a character that pushes the narrative yeah. and pushes the plot rather than adds to the themes of the film. Yeah. Um, but I think Victor did a wonderful job. Um, I especially enjoyed him playing the piano and trying to hold in a laugh whilst, you know, baby Jane's having her moment. Yeah. Um, I thought he did really well. The British accent was a choice, but whatever. Yeah, John Glover, I mean, as we all know, the completely unnecessary gay nonce storyline is just completely unnecessary. Completely. Far too much time spent on it, and it's never clear how you're meant to feel about a character. Not really. Which you're is meant to feel sad up, when he dies. Which is so fucked up. Um, it, it really, really make, made me hate this film. It, it really did. And I can't even look at it from a 1991 perspective because even from 1991, that is fucking terrible. It really is, actually. It is so it bad. Is. That is just taking bad representation to another fucking level is awful. Yeah. So, of course, Edwin Flagg is our winner and our overall winner is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962. What a shock. I thought we'd at least be able to have fun with the remake, but no, it's not even fun. No, it's, it's actually... I, I thought we would get some uh, good performances um, from, you know, two great actresses. Yeah. I knew it from the There Should Be Love drag scene, so I thought we were going to get silly, camp, fun, a modernised version of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And what we actually ended up with was something... Incredibly dull, mm-hmm. incredibly dull, like just yeah, a, a whatever kind of film, just like meh. So, yes, yeah, so highly recommend the original Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Go and watch it if you haven't already. Now, it's time for our best and worst of the month, and what a busy month it's been! 
Yeah, we're very busy. We've watched a lot of films this month. And not just the Halloween ones. Yes. Uh, my best of the month would have been Halloween Kills, but means it's a podcast film. I'm not going to count that. So, we might actually have different choices this time. Oh, my, my Lord. My best of the month is we're all going to the World's Fair. Oh, which is if you are familiar with creepy YouTube videos or, um, you know, unexplained mysteries and st- stuff like that, you know, the, the YouTube generation, this, this film uh, is pretty much the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity for the YouTube generation. The YouTube generation. But that's what it's known as. It's That's true, what it's known it? as. It just sounds, it just makes you sound so old. But, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's what it is. And I felt, watching this film, because we watched it at Grimfest and um, on the big screen, I felt watching this film the same way I felt when I watched those uh, other found footage films. And whilst it isn't completely found footage, you know, there's some films shot traditionally, it feels like you're actually watching someone and their their real journey. It, it it feels so realistic, and there's some really fucked up surreal surrealist imagery and an ending that doesn't exactly do what traditional found footage films do and leave that big shock until the end. It does it subtly and leaves you with so much to think about. And I I just thought it's so effective. We're watching it again at the Avatar Horror Film Festival. I think that's how you say the name. Um, and I, I can't wait to see it again. It's so good. It was. It was. It was really well put together. Um, it was really well acted. From yeah. A very young actress. Forgive me, I can't remember. Well, her she's name. doing a Q and A at the at the next film festival that's showing it, so that'd be really interesting. Yeah, it's you know, creep. It's it's creepy. It's kind of like if it wasn't feature length, it would kind of feel like one of those videos that ends up on Reddit, and yeah. people try and sort of delve into and find mm. the backstory yeah. and uh, it was very interesting and it's it's an idea that i had never seen in a film no. before looking at it from that angle and you know the the youtube generation but yeah um i really enjoyed that and i, I would recommend that uh my favorite film of grimfest and of the month new film of the month is midnight yes um, really great thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, about the um, uh, a deaf woman. Yeah. Who is essentially being stalked through the night, and I won't give away too much. Um, but it's very very good. Uh, Korean. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully coming out soon. I hope so. so it is fantastic. I hope it gets a good. Blu-ray release. Wasn't it? One, didn't the 101 Films label come up before the film? Oh, it might have, So, yeah, yeah hopefully that is released soon because it is, it is really intense. It's really so close to being... And... It's so close to being my film in a month as well. Really close between the two because they're both intense for two completely different reasons. Yeah. Um, it takes something that may be a familiar premise mm. and uh, um, kind of goes with it and makes it interesting yeah. and exciting and it is suspenseful and yeah just really really good i enjoyed it worst of the month also goes to grim fest and i think we might share this one forgiveness now which one's forgiveness <laughs> 
Forgiveness is a film that follows three girls that have just been abused by uh, a horrible oh, man. Forgiveness. Oh. They've just been abused by a horrible man. So because of this, they get their revenge and we have to watch them suffering because they got their revenge on someone who abused them. It's a film without any dialogue. It is written and directed by a man and it fucking shows and it is Bullshit. It is pretentious bullshit with some really just straight up offensive imagery and women going through a really terrible time all because they are abused and got their revenge. That's, that's kind of how the plot played out. I, d- yeah. I don't... It, it was kind of... I think what the idea is that these girls were in purgatory... Mm. and suffering in purgatory or something or it it was a hospital i have absolutely no idea really what was going on i by the end of it i didn't give two shits it's um an attack on the senses but not in a good way no. it's the lighting's obnoxious um the camera work is obnoxious. I just, I generally, I just thought it was awful. It yeah. was painful to get through. It was a real slog. And I kind of wish we would have just fucked off because there was no payoff at all to do yeah. it. There was, it was just, yeah, these women are suffering and there's some, what they thought was edgy imagery, but wasn't really, it's, yeah, really bad. Unforgivable. And whilst it's not the worst of the month, the most mediocre of the month and of the year and most disappointed of the year, Dune. Oh, God. We've got to mention it. I know, we've got to mention it. It's the most disappointing fucking film of the year that everyone is eating up and you just can't... We're talking the best and worst of the month. It can't not be mentioned. No, it was, for me, very disappointing. Um, I thought it was bland. I thought it was boring. Um, I didn't really, it wasn't that I didn't really understand what was going on. It's, I, I just ended up not really caring. They expected you to know what was going on before you watched the film, li- which I is th- ridiculous. Yeah, there was a lot of sort of dialogue that didn't really make too much sense. Yeah. Um, out of context, being unfamiliar, because we've watched the David Lynch one, but... You know, I don't remember that much from it. And I haven't read the novel. A lot of people are saying that it's um, very faithful to the novel. Um, I would like to thank them for letting me know so I don't have to waste <laughs> my time reading that massive novel. Uh, I'll be taking it to Oxfam. Or if anybody wants it, you know, DM us your address and I'll send it to you. Because I ain't wasting my time if it's as boring as the fucking film. Glad, glad everyone's having a nice time of it, but for us, it was just fucking boring. But it was really Looked boring. lovely, but... It looked great. Nice gowns. Yeah. Lovely gowns. But, no. Beautiful gowns. No, it's, it is not the next big leap in cinema. Yeah. Honourable mentions. Pulse. Pulse? Yes. Oh, yeah, 31 Days of Horror. Pulse, very good. Yes, very, very good. Very creepy. Kuroneko. Love that film. Really, really wonderful. Old, um, old. Uh, yeah, late, it's such an old film. It is old. old it old is films. old. But late, oh, si- late 60s so Japanese horror. I love a good Japanese horror. Like Pulse. Um, yeah, wonderful. Gemini. Yeah, 
one of my favorite directors um, is Shinya Sukamoto, and it's another amazing film from him. Yeah. Cure, which is the second best detective thriller I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, Cure was fantastic. Uh, Midnight, as you've mentioned. Hotel Poseidon, which was so fucking weird, but as you all know, I love shit like that. Um, I love seeing films where Jesus is having a dance to someone playing a keyboard um, with a guy with a green face, you know. Great. E.T. for the first time. We did watch, officially watch E.T. for the first time, both of us this month. Yeah. Alone With You, absolute amazing example on how to make something effective on a minimalist budget. It's where, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, made we by watched two a lot people. of films at Grimfest. Made it's by, to keep up. It's made by two people, and it is just fantastic. During lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. No Time to Die was really good. Uh, Dark right. Water. Dark Water is really fucking creepy. Um, and, and partly because it's a very well-made uh, Japanese horror film, but also because it has some weird parallels with the uh, incident with the... Elisa Lam. Yeah, yeah, Elisa Lam. Yeah. It's like some really, really weird parallels, so check that out. If and we've always found the Elisa Lam story to be quite interesting. Yeah. Itchy the Killer, I mean, that was an experience. <laughs> Maniac, I loved Maniac. Oh, and it's really, really creepy. 1980. Yes. Yeah. I also like the remake as well. I just didn't watch it this month. Yeah. The Seventh Victim was really good. Uh, Jacob's Ladder was amazing. The Sentinel was fucking great. There's so much we could talk about with that one on the podcast eventually. And a film you didn't watch, Nocturne Aside A. No. Uh, a film I had to review for a screener, but had me crying like in the middle of the day. It, it is something. It is the father, but horror. It is really great. So yes. you'll have to watch that. I just want to give a little um, shout out, uh, another Grimfest film called On the Third Day. Oh, shit, yeah. 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 Now, On the Third Day, I couldn't tell. I'm hopeful that it was some form of, like, malignant style B-move, O to B-movies. Mm. Um, if it wasn't, then it's shit. No, it definitely But was. if it was, then it was amazing. Yeah. Um, it had me laughing out loud. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. But I loved it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was. <laughs> so that is this month's Original Versus Remake. Let us know on social media. Remake. If, if you... Uh, let us know your favourite and least favourite films of the month. Don't come for us if you enjoyed Doom. We're glad you enjoyed it. You... You know, if you think it's uh, a masterclass, the next big thing, then that's really good for you. Happy for you. Um, let us know what you think to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I'm uh, dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. Great review, subscribe on iTunes, like, follow, and think, ouch, you know the drill. Next month is Nasty November. So, we are discussing video nasties all month long for you. Ooh. And you guys have made the choices for us for 40 episodes. We put out the polls, and the first winner, next week's episode on Tuesday, is Tenebrae. Yes. 
which beat A Bay of Blood in the polls. I love Tenebrae. So, yes, that should be great to discuss. And next month, for Original vs. Remake, we'll be discussing I Spit on Your Grave, a.k.a. Day of the Woman. There's a lot to digest with that gonna film. There's going to be a lot to digest for those films. Are we going to watch Deja Vu? Are we fuck? I'd rather die. I'm not sitting through nearly three hours of a re- revenge film. Are you fucking kidding me? Hell no. It's not a great review, so... No way. Yeah. It's got like a 2.1 on IMDb. Fuck that. Anyway, yeah, so we're not talking about... So I spent your grave deja vu. We're talking about yeah. the original and the remake next month. Tanner Brown Tuesday. Bye. <laughs> That's your line. Bye. Oh, you usually say... <laughs> we'll see like, you on Tuesday. Bye.